find the good news according to Matthew, please. Matthew 19, and we're going to read some powerful words from Jesus in just a moment. Matthew 19, uh, verses 4 through 6. But first, there was this girl. I was a student at Samford, and uh, I'd seen this girl on campus, but I couldn't find out anything about her, including her name. Then one day, I was with my friend David George in his car. He was driving. We were on campus, and that that girl came driving by in a white Camaro, wearing uh, one of those white nursing uniforms like nurses used to wear. And I said, follow that car. (laughs) And we did. And uh, we stayed back some distance so as not to be seen. And um, so when she parked and went into the dorm, uh, I, we pulled up. Uh, and um, I, I got out and went over and looked, looked in. And um, her, her notebook, one of her classes, was on the front seat. And the, the windows were down. So, of course, I reached in and uh, I got her notebook. And her name was on the, was on the front of her notebook, and that is not stalking, Officer Jeff. That is, and the statute of limitations has run out, even if it, even if it was. So I went back to my dorm, and um, I looked up her number and called her, and I said, you don't know me from Adam, but um, I, I, I quickly got to the point. I said, would you, would you like to go out this weekend? She said, I, I'll be going home this weekend. I said, what about next weekend? She said, well, I'll I'll be going home next weekend, too. (laughs) And I said, I remember this conversation almost word for word. I said, you sure go home a lot. And she she said, well, I've got a boyfriend. Yeah, I know, see. And that was that. (laughs) Except it wasn't. About a year later, I was walking across campus. I saw that same girl, and um, I had found out somehow that this guy she was uh, dating went to Auburn. And so I said something about Auburn, like, are you still going to Auburn? Are you hearing from Auburn? Or she knew what I was, what I was talking about, and she said, uh, not anymore. And so I asked, oh, bad news? And she answered, depends on how you look at it. <laughs> so I had a chance, right? So I, um, just within a few days, there was a homecoming dance at Samford, and um, I went, two guys rode with me, and I got there, and that girl was there without a date. She'd gone with another girl. So I asked her to dance. Second to dance, uh, she said, I, it's funny how I remember all these lines. She said, um, I, I smell your cologne. I must be dancing too close. No worries, I said. I wear a lot of cologne. And she thought that was, <laughs> she thought that was funny, so that was a good sign. And I drove her home in my purple Volkswagen Beetle convertible. Drove girls crazy. They, it, well, they were, girls would go weak in the knees at that uh, purple Volkswagen Beetle convertible. We started dating. And we dated on and off uh, for a year and a half. One obstacle was she wanted to be a missionary, and I wanted nothing to, be, to, to do with being a missionary. And a bigger obstacle was I, was I was kind of a knucklehead. And so that, you know, we were on and off for a year and a half. And then uh, 
in the summer after my, so- my, my senior year, I graduated, I went to Venezuela as a missionary journeyman working alongside missionaries. It wasn't going to be a career. It was just a two-year thing that I was going to get over with. And we kind of stayed in touch. We kind of stayed in touch until about Christmas now of 1981. And we was that, except it wasn't. Forty years ago today, I stood in the altar of the 12th Street Baptist Church with that girl in the nursing uniform, although she didn't have a nursing uniform on that day. I, I looked at her, and she looked at me, and we said some real sacred words together. And then uh, when the minister, who happened to be her father, gave me permission, I kissed her right on the lips in front of everybody. <laughs> and Carrie Williams beto- became... Carrie Collins. So, welcome to our 40th anniversary party. We appreciate y'all coming. But now, but now, Travis, you're, we're confused because when the last you said, the last you talked about it, it was done at Christmas, and now, and now you're married. Well, let me fill in the blanks for you. So, I, that was Christmas. The following September is some nine months later. Um, I was in Venezuela when the phone rang, and um, it was Carrie Williams. She had been listening to Christian music, she said, and there was a song about missions and made her think of me, and she was just checking on me. (laughs) You're not buying that. You're not buying that, though, are you? I didn't. I didn't buy it. But by the end of the the phone call, which was long, I asked, how soon could we get married? And so she came down to Venezuela, stayed with some missionaries, and... um, Then on a beautiful beach, a Caribbean beach, I asked her to marry me, and she said yes, and I gave her a ring, and she came home and planned a wedding, and I waited seven months to finish my tour, and then came home, and so 40 years ago today, we got married. So what else would I talk about today except marriage? This is the second week in our um, series on the family. Today I'm going to talk about marriage, and I know everybody here is not married, and that's okay. Um, You know, when you go to the mailbox, there's not always a a letter for you, but keep keep going back. When you come to worship and you hear a sermon, I I hope there's usually a letter for you, but if there's not one today, then uh, you come back, there'll be one for you next Sunday, because we're going to talk about when family is hard next Sunday, and that will include all of us. So let's read those words of Jesus in Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6. Somebody has asked him a really stumper of a question about divorce, and this is how he answers. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, and God is quoting from Genesis 2, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united. Now that word united is more powerful in the original language than it is in English, so we're going to come back, we're going to circle back to that. And be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Let's have a frank talk about marriage. First, strong marriages begin way before the wedding. Strong marriages begin way before the wedding. And, and I, I, I do include in that uh, marital counseling. That's premarital counseling. That's important. But more than that, I'm talking about decisions that we make when we are dating. Ephesians 5.3, among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. It's the word that, that speaks of premarital intimacy. 
First Thessalonians 4, 3, it is God's will that you should avoid sexual immorality. Again, it's the same word. It's the Greek word porneia, which speaks of intimacy before marriage. Each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Now, why would God say that? Is he a killjoy? No, of course. He, he wired us. He knows what's best for us and wants what's best for us. And he knows that the two things that make for a good marriage are unselfishness and, and self-control. And we develop that unselfish and self, unselfishness and self-control when we're, before we're married. One reason I believe it's wrong for people to live together is that we, we, we could develop a mindset that privileges without commitment kind of mindset that does not serve a marriage well. The National Marriage Project at Rutgers, not at Samford, but at Rutgers, said once a low commitment pattern of, of relating is learned, it becomes hard to unlearn. Once you get into that privileges without commitment mindset, it is hard to unlearn it, and it will come back to haunt a marriage. So, when God says, be pure before marriage, He's not a killjoy, He's setting us up for a selfless a, a strong marriage based on commitment, not just on privileges. Next, marriage is about love, not infatuation. Marriage is about love, not infatuation. Don't get me wrong. After four decades, Carrie can still make my heart flutter. In fact, she's taken up golf, and um, every once in a while we'll play together. She wears that golf outfit. And I, every once in a while, I look over there at her legs, and whew, it's like I just lose all concentration. I, you know, I just forget what I'm afraid I'm going to miss the ball altogether. My son said, you won't tell that, Daddy. I said, yeah, I will. I am going to tell that. Because <laughs> just because there's snow on the roof doesn't mean there's not fire in the furnace, right? You've heard, uh, you've heard that. But love, that's not love, that feeling, that's, that's not love. That's a primal feeling that I share with, with members of the animal kingdom, right? Love is when I honor her and serve her and appreciate her and don't tell embarrassing stories about her. I, but that love, it does come with a great feeling. It does come with a great feeling, but that feeling is not to be confused with the Marian kind of love. Marriage is based on a covenant, on a sacred agreement between two people who love. That's the kind of uh, love I'm talking about. Next, it's not primarily about who you marry, it's about who you are. It's not about who you marry, it's about who you are. When Carrie was getting ready to come to Venezuela, we were planning the trip. Richard Clement was the missionary with whom she was going to stay, and I... Um, we were sitting in his living room talking, and I was talking about her coming, and I said, Carrie Williams is the only girl I've ever met who could make me happy. And Richard Clement nearly came up out of his lazy boy. He said, she cannot make you happy. And he's right. Now, we have a good time together. We have, we have joy. There is happiness in our marriage, but she can't. If I'm not happy... That's way too big a burden to put on her to make me happy. Will Campbell, one of my favorite writers, said his neighbor's husband left her. And before he left, he said, you just don't make me happy. 
Will Campbell said, I've been to hundreds, hundreds of weddings probably, and he said, I've heard the minister talk about for better, for worse, and richer for, richer for poorer, in sickness and in health and so on. He said, I've never once heard the officiant say anything about making the other one happy. Marry somebody, of course, you're compatible with and enjoy, of course. Marry somebody with character so that you can trust them. But don't, um, don't, don't think somebody's going to make you happy. Next. Some, uh, and this is a hard one. Some talk about wives submitting to their husbands has been used to justify abuse. Don't fall for that. Some talk about wives submitting to their husbands has been used to justify abuse. Don't fall for that, ladies. If you can, the male ego is a fragile thing. And all the women are saying amen silently. The male ego is a fragile thing. And if you combine the male ego with this teaching about wives submitting to their husbands, it, it has the potential for abuse. Now, please hear me. There are a lot of wonderful traditional marriages in which the husband and wife have decided together that, that he will lead spiritually, that he will make big decisions, and the wife will support that. And that's not what I'm talking. I'm not talking about the traditional roles of marriage. I'm talking about the fact that even on the national scale, even some kind of big... I'll tell you, guys, can I just use this mic? That, okay, good. All right. Good. Turn that one off. Okay. So, oh, okay, yeah, at the national level, there are um, even some kind of big-name preachers and teachers who are talking about the submission of wives, and it's almost an obsession. In fact, it has come to the point that a couple of them have downplayed the horror of abuse for the sake of, of, of wives submitting to their husband. So ladies, please hear me. If you, I know you want to be a good Christian wife if you're married. But please don't fall for that twisted notion that to be a good Christian wife, you should submit to abuse. If, you are, if you're in an abusive situation, you do not have to stay. In fact, I hope you won't. Don't let the teaching about wives submitting to their husbands become a, this warped idea that you, that you have to submit to abuse. Please don't. Next, your marriage needs boundaries. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. I talked about this last week. But you need to invest in your marriage. If you're married, of course you do. But more than that, you need boundaries. You need walls. You need fences that will protect your marriage. Meaning, again, as I said last week, you, you talk about how much time I will spend with or where I will go with someone who's not my spouse of, of the opposite sex. Carrie and I sat down a long time ago, almost four decades ago, not long after we were married, and we talked about the boundaries that we would follow, and we're both glad, we're both glad we, we did. Next, and this is a, this is a biggie. Divorce is not your last chance at a good marriage. Divorce is not your last chance at a good marriage. Some of you have experienced the pain of divorce, the pain that some have compared even to the pain of 
of death, losing someone to death. Please hear me, you are not soiled, you are not second class. God is grieved when a covenant marriage is broken, for sure, and people are hurt. He says in the book of Malachi, I I hate divorce, but he does not hate divorced people. So even if you are divorced, you have not lost the chance at at a good marriage. A moment ago, I said, I want us to pull over and talk about that word united. They asked Jesus that loaded question about divorce, and he referred back to Genesis 2.24 that says, for, a, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That word united is a really interesting word. It means to, to glue. It was the word they used for adhesive. It meant to adhere. In some translations, it says cling. If there had been Gorilla glue or super glue at 2,000 years ago, they would have used that term. It's about sticking. And you can, you can cleave even if this is not your first marriage. If you're, if you're divorced and you hope one day to marry, you can say today, when, when that happens, if that happens, I will cleave, I will stick. If you're in your second marriage, it's not too late to have a good one. You can decide today, I will cleave, I will stick. For my parents, their marriage was the second marriage for both of them. But for almost 45 years, they stuck. They cleaved. They could not, they could not undo the past. But they could determine what their future would be like. And so, even though they, they lived till their death with regrets, they had a good marriage. Divorce is not your last chance at a good marriage. I always, uh, when I'm doing a wedding, and that's, of course it's always a, um, an honor to do a wedding ceremony, if we're in this room, we'll, we'll gather down here with the bridal party, and um, we'll, <clears throat> before I, I say the prayer to begin the rehearsal, I'll, I'll always say, right about here, uh, tomorrow afternoon or evening, whenever the wedding is, a real live, genuine, bona fide miracle is going to take place. I almost always say you're not going to see flashes of light and you're not going to hear angels singing, but, but a miracle is going to take place because the creator of the universe who established the, the beautiful institution we called marriage is going to take these two people and in that sacred moment, he's going to make them one. And I said that, that is a real live, genuine, bona fide miracle that we get to Witness And that oneness, that becoming one, almost always begins with words like, I do. I was, uh, it was back in Kentucky, and the wedding ceremony was about to begin. The bridal party would have been back there in the, the vestibule or the foyer or whatever we called it. And I was, I was over here where the, the groom got ready, and uh, we were getting ready to walk out. And, it's that, it's that wonderful moment when, 
you know, uh, the bride heads down the aisle and the groom goes weak and he smiles or he cries or he doesn't, you know, he didn't know what to do with himself. And it was right before that moment. And so we were, we were back there getting ready to come out when um, a young lady I didn't recognize came up, uh, walked over to the groom and she hugged him. I mean, she hugged him long and she hugged him strong. And I thought, is this the beginning of a country music song? What's about to happen here? I thought, is she going to be like on the movies, you know, where the, the groom or the bride gets there just in time and says, don't marry him, you want to marry me? And so I thought, is, are, we, are we about to have one of those moments? I thought, this has scandal written all over it. And the, the groom must have seen the panic in my eyes because he smiled and he said, this is my sister. That was a big, that was a big relief. And then his sister backed up and she gave him some really good sisterly advice. She looked him in the eyes and she said, you can do this. You can make it work. Maybe, I don't know, maybe she knew he was nervous, but she said, you can do this. You can make it work. All you have to do is say, I do, over and over again for the rest of your life. <laughs> that ain't bad marital counseling. Not one of us came to our marriages perfect. We all brought baggage, right? Nobody has a perfect marriage. But you can have a good one, even if this is not your first one. It should never include abuse. But you can do this. You, you can do, you just say, I do, over and over again for the rest of your life. I do. I, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, keeping myself only for you so long as we both shall live, I do. And some of you have passed Carrie and me, but if you haven't, then you, you keep saying I do, and then one of these days, maybe we'll all gather for your 40th anniversary.